Hey guys. Oh, there it is. There it is. Well, it's good to be back. Second week in Brooks Hall. Y'all like this room? It's pretty awesome. There's just a lot of room up here to run around or do whatever. I love the like worship altar space. This is this is so good. You could just yeah, it's all of you should be up here after this. Well, we'll see how I preach. Thank you, Alec, for the amazing introduction. I feel like I have to live up to what he said about me now. Um, so, uh, yes, thank you. You're, you're awesome. Uh, hey, so my name is Christopher Mancius. For all of you who, those, uh, who don't know me, I am on staff with Chi Alpha. I moved up here in July of 2014 with uh, the rest of the staff to join Katie and Jordan to help start this thing that we call Chi Alpha at WVU. And you guys are here because of that. But uh, some other quick facts about me. I was a communications major in college. I was originally going to be a speech teacher and a soccer coach until uh, direction changed. And now I'm doing Chi Alpha, obviously. I uh, have never broken a bone in my body. So, yeah, Superman. That's exactly what it is. Also, I, um, I love to play soccer, obviously, because I wanted to be a soccer coach. And... For lack of any confu- to settle any confusion, uh, Katie Goody is my sister. I think I've said that before, but literally, I spent six years at Sam Houston, and people still, when I was about to leave, didn't know that we were related. It was pretty bad. So Jordan, he's my brother-in-law, which means Zoe and Grace. <laughs> he didn't know that either. Uh, that's bad. <laughs> she, uh, they are my amazing nieces, and I get to hang out with them. The rest of our family, Paul and Holly Mancius, they are in Houston, where we're from, as well as my brother. He's younger than me, two years, Stephen, and Ashley, my sister-in-law. That's our family. Yeah, and look at Judah. Judah, he's the most, or second most recent addition. He's over there. My brother and I, people think we're the same person sometimes. Because uh, apparently we look alike. I guess we're family or something. Anyways, that's Christmas. Who loves Christmas? <laughs> All right, good. I was just making sure no one booed. I was ready to call you out. Christmas is amazing. Family is awesome. I love that about West Virginia. Family is a big deal here. I have seen that. It is amazing. But yeah, I love my family. Um, wouldn't be who I am without them. And so I'm really grateful for them. Most importantly, though... Uh, 1998, I was eight years old, you do the math, I got saved, gave my life to the Lord, prayed with my mom, and uh, most important thing about anyone is when you give your life to Jesus, right? means you're spending eternity with the God who made us, the God who pursues us. So that happened, the Lord gave me some amazing people in my life, just all growing up who loved Jesus, they loved me, and they really did help me learn to walk with God. Uh, just all throughout my life. High school, um, he sent someone from St. Houston Chi Alpha to be my high school youth director. Just amazing um, acts of grace to me in my life. When I got to St. Houston, got involved with Chi Alpha immediately, where I met Josh Gray, my small group leader. He's amazing. Him and his wife, Sarah, live uh, in Houston right now. They're involved with the church. He's like, he's got like a small group of like techies uh, that are like under him that are like eight or nine guys that he's just, he's ministering to and loving on. And, and so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. One of the things that Josh taught me was a lot about who the Holy Spirit is, his baptism, what that looks like life with him. I didn't grow up learning a lot about who he is or, or what he does in our lives. Um, a lot of you might be similar to that. And so if that's you, ask your small group leader about it. Um, ask anyone on staff about it. And uh, we'll hopefully be able to help you guys learn more about that. Because that's what we're about. This is a family. This is a community. We're supposed to help each other grow in our relationship with God. So Jordan talked about identity last week, right? Some of you guys weren't here. Y'all missed out. It was amazing. He helped give us a good understanding of what identity is, how we like put our value in different things, how, you know, in the past he's done that in different things. One of the things that I am guilty of or had done a lot in the past was people pleasing, right? Middle child syndrome. Anyone identify with me? Peacekeepers. 
moderators, mediators, that's, that is not moderator, that's someone who sits in a class when you take a test. Um, mediators, right, that is, that is kind of like our calling as middle children. Uh, but yeah, so that was what I was really guilty of. When you compromise your own values, your own personality to make people happy, that is not good. So if that's you, please stop. The world needs who God has made you to be. So hello, hey, my friends, welcome. But anyways, yeah, so this week, we're going to talk about discipleship. This is going to be kind of tough to do because I've literally spent the last nine years plus of my life like engaged in this kind of community in small groups, leading small groups, being led, being discipled, just talking about it, studying it, and so... If you know me real, really well, you know that I often have a lot to say, but I don't know how to say it. So we'll try and uh, just not have that happen tonight. Alec way overspoke me earlier. But anyway, so discipleship. Let's start off with a poll. Who in here is a student? Oh, man, that is crazy. You think we're at a college or something? Dang. Interesting. Okay, so what are some of your majors? Engineering? Where are you guys at? A lot of y'all? Almost a third of the room, maybe? Music? Oh, kind of. <laughs> one back there, maybe? Uh, bi- biology. That's a big one. Medicine? Chemistry? Education? Law? Pre-law? What, is that a thing? Yes, kind of. It is a thing. I don't know. I don't know these things. Y'all are, y'all are super smart. I commend you guys. This college is amazing. I know y'all work really hard to be where y'all are at. And to go through four years or more or less or however long you have to be here, you get to be here, it takes commitment. College can be tough. You are supposed to decide what you want to do with your life and who you want to be for the rest of your life, right? That is... That is kind of a big decision. And that's not just for seniors. They put that stuff on you early. It's like, you know, fifth grade. Hey, what do you want to do with your life? And it's like, oh, gosh, I'm just trying to play in the yard. Right? It's just like, and, you know, but it's seriously, you know, like this is, there's this expectation that you're supposed to learn. You're supposed to be somebody that, like, can actually have something that will um, benefit the world. You'll have something that you can offer to the world that you'll, you know, have this thing called a degree this piece of paper, right? It's not just a piece of paper. It has President Guy's signature on it. That's, that's worth a lot, right? Not just a signature, but a degree shows that you've committed yourself to around four or more years to the same thing. That's a pretty high accomplishment. That is, pretty, that is, that is a lot of commitment, and that's, that's a pretty big deal. And at least America... A lot of the world as well values that, right? Because they see, oh, wow, this person has both intelligence and experience. And that is very valuable in our capitalist society economy, right? That is, we want you to be able to offer something to us, right? So you're constantly learning. College is just like this place uh, of amazing method of learning, right? You are here, you're around people who are all learning about the same thing. They help you learn things in different ways and in, in like in, in ways that you wouldn't necessarily see things, they help you see things. You're studying the same thing for around four years or more if you do masters or PhD, right? It's consistent learning. You have labs where you're actually doing the things that you're like trying to get good at and, and be an expert in even your professors have been studying this topic or these topics for probably six or more years and are consistently studying it as they are teaching you as well, right? This is a pretty good place to learn, right? It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's kind of expected for a lot of middle and upper class families, right? But it really is a privilege and it, and it comes with some responsibility. And those responsibilities sometimes consist of saying no to things so that you can say yes to studying your education, keeping scholarships, right? Being the first to graduate in your family, maybe. That's a big deal. 
a lot of money, thousands of dollars, go into you uh, choosing to do your schoolwork instead of hanging out or watching Netflix or, you know, going down High Street or just doing whatever, maybe seeing movies every day. I don't know if that's like what you, what you like doing. But hobbies, certain ambitions are given up so that you can, you can study, that you can, you know, inside and outside of class, you can really learn to do what you are studying to do the best that you can, right? So I commend you guys. Y'all are amazing. This is a great place to learn. I've been so excited to be here with you guys. So, we're going to get into some scripture. Let's jump back about 2,000 years. My mom, she hates movies about time travel because she thinks it's terribly impractical for our lives today, which it is, but we're going to do it tonight. Um, So, we're going to go back about 2,000 years to a place called Galilee, A.D. 30. There should be a picture up there. I think there it is. Look. Uh, I don't know if you can see it. I can see it really well. But it's uh, Galilee is a section of Israel about 100 miles north of Jerusalem, which was the center of Jewish worship and, you know, just where kind of like, yeah, the center of Judaism revolved around. So Galilee, a lot of people were fishermen, you know, the, the smell. If you've been to like, you know, across the Atlantic to Africa or Arab world or India, you know, streets are busy. There's markets, the smell of fish, perfumes, spices, like it's, it's all there. This is, this is Galilee, you know, I don't know if it's salt or fresh water. I didn't look that up. Sorry, guys. Uh, but those of you who like fishing, I know, I know Nathan does, Frankie, my roommate, wherever he's at. Other you guys, this is the place to be if you're a fisherman. And if you live there, you probably are a fisherman. But also, the Romans, the Roman Empire, they were, they were bad dudes. They were in control at this time, A.D. 30. And for many years before that, right? They were ruthless. They didn't care who you were. If you were Roman, then you had certain rights. But if not, you might as well have just been a piece of dirt, right? Because that's about how they treated you if you if you cross them somehow. So they're in control. Everyone who's under them hates them, including the Jews. But the Jews, they had a certain amount of hope, right? Because they were promised through many prophecies, like some of the ones that we read last semester, all of those prophets, the mouthpieces of God to the nation of Israel and others surrounding them. They said, hey, there's going to be someone that comes in the future and that abolishes everything that is against God, his kingdom, his people, Israel, the Jews, and he's going to restore his kingdom to this world and everyone else will be submissive to them, right? So this is what's going on. Well, onto the scene walks a man. His name is Jesus, right? And there's been some talk about this guy. He's been going around. He's... um, He's been prophesied about then, right? John the Baptist, if you've heard of him, he was saying, make straight the way for the Lord. So Jesus comes up, and he he does a few things that we won't cover tonight, gets baptized, stuff like that, and then he starts his ministry. Well, there were two guys, Simon and Andrew. It's a nice song. Simon and Andrew, they're fishermen. They're two of these guys, right? And because they're fishermen, that means that they had basically failed out of school or they never attempted. Because to be a fisherman or to have any other trade besides to be a religious official meant that you were not selected to be under one of these religious officials. Pharisees, uh, elders of the law, right? You were supposed to study until you were... 13 years, you're supposed to memorize the entire first five books of our Bible, which was also in the Jewish scriptures back then and still is. Memorize. That is a lot of pressure. Yeah, before you're 13, what? Sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Seventh and eighth grade, right? So we think we have a lot of pressure. You still do. You're expected to know what you want to do. These guys are starting from like birth, you know, like. Jewish moms are like whispering scripture like every like over and over. They probably know it really well too. But anyway, so th- because they didn't get selected and being selected meant that you would be a disciple, a pupil, a learner of one of these guys, walk with them, learn their doctrine. 
their practices, and then you would one day be able to be a teacher after you've studied with them and all of these other things, right? So because they were fishermen, they failed or never attempted at all of that, right? So they're fishing one day, and this happens. Matthew 4, verses 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. So, I'll explain more of what this means in a second. But then, let's fast forward about three years. They've been walking with Jesus. They took his invitation to follow him. They've been walking with him. They've been seeing miracles and and seeing him deliver demons from people and seeing him heal people from from sicknesses and blindness and um, muteness and seeing limbs grow back, stuff like that, right? The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, and he multiplies it so that 5,000 people can be fed, right? These people have, these guys with 10 other dudes, they walked with Jesus, and they lived life with him as if they would have gone to one of these other Pharisees or religious officials, right? So these guys, thinking that they had missed out on having something to offer the world because they were fishermen, which if you live... (laughs) On a lake, you're probably a fisherman. So they weren't offering really anything that no one else was already offering, right? So they had this chance of a lifetime to follow this guy who might be the savior of the world, the savior of Israel, the guy who was supposed to demolish the Romans and bring peace and prosperity back to Jerusalem, right? So they follow him. They see his character. They see how he treats people. They hear what he talks about. They hear his parables. They are being trained up by Jesus. So at the end of those three years, the Bible says that Jesus, when he was around 33 years old, like he did, like he, like he meant to do when he came to this world, was he died on the cross. And the reason he did that was because the Bible teaches that as people, as humans, we have sinned against God. We've broken his heart. We've broken his law. And because of that, There is a necessary punishment for our lives, which would be eternal separation from him. And there's a lot that goes into that. We don't have the time to cover it now. But basically, we sinned, we deserve punishment. And when Jesus died on the cross as God, as the Son of God, that was a substitution, amongst other things, for our punishment. He took the punishment that we deserved when he died on the cross. Well, good news is that three days later, he rose from the dead, right? And he's alive still. He's in heaven. He's actually in heaven. He's, he was a real person. Jesus was a real man. He actually walked on this earth. That text that we read from in Matthew, and we'll read from again, Matthew was a real person. He was a real text collector and a real Israel and a real Jerusalem, Right? He actually wrote this stuff down. This is a historical document with manuscripts, and it's real. This stuff happened. I've been reading Francis Schaeffer. He talks a lot about it, so that's just a little uh, nidbit. Is that what it's called? Nidbit from, from that? Tidbit. Timbit. Timbit from Tim Hortons. Just kidding. Man, but this, yeah, for real, this stuff happened. So Jesus actually died on a real cross when the real Roman Empire was really ruling Israel and other nations. And Jesus, in history, rose from the dead. And he's now in heaven waiting to return, right? Well, before he goes back up to heaven, after he had died and raised from the dead, he gives his disciples one last command. Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, and 20. You guys have probably heard this before. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
So we'll pray, and then we'll look at this thing called discipleship. God, thank you for uh, tonight. Thank you for these guys, these girls, this opportunity to learn from you and, and to learn how to walk with you better, Jesus. Lord, would you help me articulate what you want me to say, Holy Spirit? Would you fill me up and help me, help me do this, uh, yeah, just this topic, this thing called discipleship um, to do that, that it deserves, God? Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So, at the beginning, we did a poll. Everyone said they were a student. The definition of disciple a learner. Interesting. Or a pupil. Someone, a pu- pupil. Uh, it's kind of a funny word. Learner, aka student. There was a student then is a person who takes an interest in a particular subject. Another one said a person who is studying to be, you know, an expert in that field. Synonyms are trainee, apprentice, recruit, intern. We got some of those. Or a novice. That's what I feel like when I'm playing Call of Duty. And I lower Damani's KD, which is a... Anyways, um... So, everyone here is a student, most of you. I saw some hands not raised. But everyone here at least learns, so if learning something entails that you're a student, then everyone actually is a student, which means everyone is a disciple of something or someone. So, everyone here is a disciple because hopefully everyone is learning at least something, right? Day-to-day, read the news, whatever. Maybe Facebook is who you're a disciple of. Maybe that's who you, what you learn from every day, right? I'm, I'm not sure. That's kind of up for you to decide, and we'll talk about that later. So, everyone is a disciple. The question is, what are we going to be, or who are we going to be a disciple of? What are we going to give our lives to? Everything we talked about with college, with studying, the, de- the majors that you're in, the degrees you're going to get, the experiences, what you're going to have to offer the world, what's that going to be? It's already WVU. Many of you, most of you, are disciples of some of the things at WVU. Let's go. See? Y'all are good learners. That's awesome. So good. Anyways... We're going to look at a little quote from Winky Pratney. He's amazing. Winky Pratney, some of y'all have met him. He got saved when he was, I think, 18, 17 or 18, which was like 50 years ago, I think. And since then, he has devoted his entire life to studying discipleship, studying the Bible, studying just a ton of things. He has committed his life to walking with Jesus and showing others how to do the same. This is what he says. The church must go back to Bible Christianity. Very passionate. Sinners can become Christians when Christians become Christian. It is not easy to be a disciple. Much of what passes for Christianity today is a half-hearted attempt to reconcile the cross-bearing life with comfortable living. We cannot be selfish and saintly too. The world has never been moved by the mildly interested. Unless you are open to the changes of God and live in utter obedience in the Holy Spirit's commands, you may as well close this book now. This is Youth of Flame. If you want to move your world, you must be prepared to, re- to pay the high cost of discipleship. Are you ready to re-examine your premises? So a little context of that quote. Winky, Youth of Flame, is a book that Winky wrote. It is a discipleship manual. Frankie, my roommate, and I, we read it last semester. It took us a little while. It is a thick book. It is amazing. It is so good. What Winky is saying is that there is a certain set of things that the world tells you you have to be good at and that you have to know, even within the church, right? Hosting a service, Chi Alpha, church, a good retreat, all of these things. It is like drawing people in but not going much further than that, potentially, 
right? Within the world, it's just you kind of got to work as hard as you want or need to in order to do the company, the marketplace, the world benefit, right? But you don't actually necessarily have to um, give of yourself past where you want to, right? But with discipleship, what Winky is saying is that when Jesus called the disciples to follow him, he said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They were already fishers of fish. He wanted to make them fishers of men. So what he said, what Jesus was saying, basically, is that I want your entire life to be committed to me. I want what you are studying to be dedicated and used within your own field to impact the world. And so Winky helps us out there because when, when we read Matthew 28, 19, and 20, it said, um, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. That teaching part is crucial to discipleship. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And Winky's saying that we have to be so invested in walking with Jesus, so engulfed in studying his word, that it impacts our life so that we go out and do that with others. Because at the root of discipleship is life on life, learning to walk with Jesus and teaching others to do the same. If I could sum it up in one sentence, that's what it would be. Discipleship is life on life, learning to walk with God and teaching others to do the same. That's how Jesus did it. He selected 12 men, and that number grew throughout his ministry. But he didn't just sit in a big classroom and say, hey, come once a week or three times a week and hear me talk. He said, hey, come follow me. Look at my life. See if what I'm saying lines up with how I act. See if you think that the things I'm saying are true. Come, I want to challenge the way that you think. I want to challenge the, the, the philosophies, the, doctrine of, the doctrines of this world because as humans, and I think God knew this, I think he was onto something. I think he knew how we learn best and how we're transformed. The, what, what we think has to make it into action. If it doesn't make it into action in our own lives, then we won't actually be transformed. And being transformed is what God is concerned about. He wants us to look like Jesus. So the way this happens is when Nate gets a hold of Alec, Dalton, now Logan, guys like Ian, right? Some, uh, some difficult guys to love. At first, not now. They are amazing. Nate committed his time, his energy, some of his sleep, his money, to say, I'm going to give Alec not just teaching, but a demonstration of what this looks like. And now Alec's here, and he's leading. That's what we call transgenerational discipleship, is when one person commits their life to teaching others through their life and through their words others to make disciples so that they can be transformed to make others. Transgenerational discipleship, discipleship over multiple generations. Pretty easy definition. Where do we get this? We get it from a verse, 2 Timothy 2.2. I should just have everyone who's a small group leader recite this verse because you should have it memorized because it is core to what we do. And the things you have heard me say, in the presence of many witnesses. This is Paul speaking to Timothy, who was one of his disciples. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable men who will also be able to teach others. 
Four generations represented here. Paul, Timothy, who Timothy would disciple, and then who they would disciple. Four. Right? That's a lot. Paul had in mind, Paul knew that Jesus wanted the world to be transformed by the men that carried out the life of Jesus and his teaching, right? So transgenerational discipleship, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Winky, his life, his study, the past nine years of my life, Jordan, Sean, these guys. This takes some time. And Jesus knew that. You've already proven that you can commit four years, at least, to one thing, right? And at the end of those four years, you will have something to offer the world. Experience, knowledge, you know, whatever you get your job in. Maybe it's, maybe it's an, invention, an invention, right? Maybe you will invent something. I know some of you guys want to go overseas to give selflessly, give of your potential, you know, six-figure salary to start orphanages, to build bridges for developing countries, right? You guys want to do this, and, and you're using your degrees to help build the kingdom of God, right? You're being engineers of men. You're being engineers of relationships. You're being, you're being educators of the word of God. You're being, Katie has used, used her music degree to help lead worship. Sean has used his business degree, finance, to help with our finances, right? There are things that we've done that have really, that the, there are things that the Lord has allowed us and many others to use our degree for as we make disciples, right? And that's what the Lord wants us to do. There's people in your classes, there's people around you, there will people, be people when you graduate that are needing you to take time in God's word, and in his community, right? Much like a university, we are here. Kyle is a community. That's why community is such a big deal. Because like a college, all of us, we're studying, we're learning to walk with God, right? That's why devotional life, reading on a daily basis, both in the Bible and other authors who have written down their experiences with God, are, is such a big deal because it's studying in order to teach, we have to actually learn, right? If you try and teach without knowing anything, then it's, you're just talking. That, that's, that's not going to do anybody any good. So, right, devotional life, daily reading, community, winter retreat, sermons, Chi Alpha, coming together, small group, learning from each other. Guys, this is all about looking like Jesus. This is all about making disciples. That is why discipleship is such a big deal to us. As I was studying... For this sermon, it, it like hit me so hard because even though like, like our staff isn't perfect. You guys, if you have thought that before, you should not. You should stop right now and never think it again because we're not. We may be a little bit further in our journey with Jesus than you guys, but we don't know everything. We, we are studying. We're learning to walk with God. There are things that he is doing in our lives, and we need community. We need you guys. God designed this community of believers to be a family. And so we need each other. So as I was studying for this stuff, it was just so cool because I, uh, I, I like got really convicted about even how I viewed discipleship and how I had not viewed it as highly as Jesus made it to be, which is continuous life-on-life community studying, learning, and teaching others to do the same, right? This is a big deal. If you are not in a small group, you need to get in one. This is crucial for your walk with Jesus now and for the rest of your life. If you're not a Christian, that's okay. Friendship is awesome. You should still get plugged in, ask questions, see if what we're saying lines up with how we act. That's what Jesus did. He invited people into life with him, and he allowed people to do that. So that's your opportunity. There's a lot of other quotes that I wanted to use. I, 
It was honestly tough deciding what to figure out to talk about with discipleship. Um, but I'm just going to say a couple more things, um, and then we will we will wrap up. But uh, the main thing I wanted to, to get across tonight was just that discipleship happens within the context of community, and it needs to happen with like great intentionality. No one accidentally is discipled, right? There, there is an intentionality on the discipler, and there is an intentionality on the, the one being discipled, right? I, I committed myself to Josh, my small group leader. I asked him questions. I committed myself to my friends, my roommates, still to this day, to allow them to tell them, hey, I give you permission to speak into my life about things that I need to learn, ways that I need to grow. And as the discipler, if you're a small group leader, there's obvious, right? There's obvious uh, necessary commitment there. But if you're walking with Jesus, there's no reason why you can't read your Bible in the morning and go talk about what you just learned, right? That is, that is the call to make disciples. If you are a Christian, you are also a disciple maker. Jesus said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow, go. They're all in the same call. When he called Simon and Andrew and the other ones to walk with him, to follow him, he was also calling them to go and do the same thing. It was the first thing Matthew records Jesus saying to his first two disciples. And in Matthew 28, it was the last thing. He told his disciples to do that Matthew records. Matthew, by the way, walked with Jesus those three years. So I think if Matthew thought that it was a big deal to record the first and the last thing that Jesus told his disciples to do was to make disciples, then it's probably a big deal. Right? A lot of times people remember, oh, remember when we met? Oh, it was this. And, you know, you can, you can remember where you were, what you were wearing, whatever, stuff like that, depending on the relationship. And then, you know, like if someone passes away or you move away or you lost a best friend or something like that happens, oh, man, I remember what we were doing the last time we hung out, right? These things are really easy to remember. And they're really important to us. And I think Matthew knew that. And I think Jesus knew that. I think that's why he said it both, both first and last. So I encourage you guys, like I said, get in a small group. Go to winter retreat. Use the same kind of commitment and, and intentionality and, and hunger to pursue Jesus and, and to study his word and, and to to disciple others, to know him well, to pray as you do in school. Those of us in here who are Christians, this is, this is what we need to do. This is the world is depending on disciple makers to go and make disciples, like Winky said. If you're not saved, study the word. There are a lot of good things in there for your life being wise with money, being nice to people, being kind, patient. You can learn from the Bible even if you're not a Christian, so I encourage you to do so. And give Jesus a chance. Give your small group leader, your Christian friends a chance and see if Jesus has more for you. Like Rachel was saying, that was amazing. Wherever you are, I don't know where you are. That was awesome. There she is. That was so good. Another example of studying and constant learning so that we can teach each other and learn from each other and obey and be transformed to look like Jesus. Jesus knew this. I think he was onto something. I think WVU was onto something. <laughs> they know it. It's not a secret. This is how we learn best. And this is necessary for us to do if we're going to have something to offer the world, right? Last week, Jordan talked about identity. It's directly related to this sermon on discipleship. Who we are. Who are we? 
When you belong to Jesus, you're his son, you're his daughter. And at that point, you have something to offer. You have something to offer the world. It's this good news, this message of Jesus dying on the cross to take our place so that, and rising from the dead so that we can be friends with God again. Right? That's what we have to offer the world. So what do we do with this, right? I've said a lot, discipleship, constant teaching, life on life, learning. What do we do? Well, in John, another one of Jesus' disciples, sorry, Sean, I skipped a bunch of quotes, or Heather. Yeah, Heather, she doesn't care. She's awesome. Sean, by the way, is PowerPoint guru. Man, he was, he, he put like so many slides together in like two minutes. It was amazing. I was sitting there watching him. He's awesome. Anyways, in John, it, yes, you knew which one. John 4, 34, 34 through 35, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And they ask him, hey, Jesus, aren't you hungry? We need to go get some food. And Jesus jukes him (laughs) and says, my food said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you, do you not say four months more and then the harvest? He's talking about the actual uh, wheat harvest or whatever they grew. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He's trying to set their eyes to, from looking down to looking up. To say, look, guys, there are people all around you. Just go and talk to them. Just go and reach out. Just go and invite them into your life. So to us, Jesus is saying, open your eyes and look at the fields. Open your eyes and look at High Street. Open your eyes and look at the lair. Open your eyes and look at Evansdale, the rec center, the rec fields, the PRT. Open your eyes and look at Brooks Hall, right? The fields are ripe for the harvest. So in your classes, when you're walking to a class around campus, around Morgantown, if you're working out, God forbid you make a workout longer or shorten it because you're talking to someone. At Starbucks, your apartments, anywhere, the fields are ripe for harvest. You have something to offer. Studying, getting to know God, and teaching others to obey everything he has commanded. And what's cool about that last part of everything that I have commanded is that making disciples is one of his commands. So when we teach people to obey everything he has commanded, we're also teaching them to go and make disciples, right? Transgenerational discipleship, the people we disciple should also go and make disciples. Yes, so the fields are ripe for harvest. And thank God the disciples did what Jesus told them to do, right? Because we're here. We can trace our spiritual lineage all the way back to maybe not the 12 disciples, but there were 120 and 500 that were mentioned at one point. But we, can, we know for sure that we can trace our spiritual lineage. And what, what I mean by that is that Josh Gray discipled me. And when I came here, I discipled Nathan. And right now, Nathan is discipling Zane and Grayson and Dan. And hopefully one day, they will disciple others. Spiritual lineage. I am Dan's grandpa. Spiritually speaking, our spiritual lineage goes all the way back to the founder of our faith, Jesus. That's crazy. That is amazing. Thank God the disciples did what he asked them to do. Because throughout the generations, now we're here. I have a cool video kind of showing something that, I don't know, I liked it. We'll just play it.
Pretty cool, huh? The spread of Christianity starting in about A.D. 33 across the world. We're part of that. It ended in 2015, that little video. Three years ago, almost two. We're a continuation of that, guys. It is our responsibility, our call, Jesus' command to us to go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. Right? Open your eyes. The field is ripe for harvest. The band is going to come up. I uh, didn't really know what to, I guess, like, just have y'all do in response as we worship uh, because there's kind of three things Jesus is asking of us. And they're all in his invitation to come, follow, and go. So first of all, if you're in the group of people who's been coming for a couple times, maybe you've been hanging out with some of the guys or girls in small group, you haven't given your life to Jesus, you're still checking it out. When Jesus said, come, it's almost like he's saying, hey, come check me out. Test my life, test my ways. See if what I say lines up with how I live. You can do that with us, with what we're talking about here. If you haven't done that yet, go ahead and just take that invitation that Jesus gave you to just come check it out. You don't have to commit to anything. Just come check it out. See if this stuff works. Secondly, his his second part of the invitation is to follow right? This is where the commitment comes in. If you've been coming around, you haven't given your life to Jesus, you've seen a lot, like Rachel was saying, you might feel like there's something next that you need to do that Jesus is asking you to do. That could be giving your life to him, making him the Lord of your life. Like I mentioned, Jesus, he died on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross Because we broke God's heart. We broke his law when we did things that are against his word right here. And so the first step of turning, uh, of taking that invitation to follow is is what's called repenting. It's turning away from these, these sins and turning to God and living for him. And making him the Lord of your life, saying, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll be who you ever want me to. Whoever you want me to be, you have control of my life. That's a tough thing to do. It is a very tough thing to do. So if you're having trouble with it, that's okay. Just know that it's tough. Some of the guys we were talking the other day, why is Jesus worthy? Why can we trust him? Because he is most qualified to rule our lives. He is wise. He's good. He's loving. He's all-powerful. He's pursued us. He's given himself time and time again for us. On the cross, he sent his Holy Spirit. He's trustworthy. So giving lordship of your life to Jesus is a smart thing to do. I trust him more than myself because he's better than me. If you're following Jesus and you don't read daily, if you're not in a small group, You're not actively learning how to make disciples better. You're not sharpening your your knowledge of Jesus to give an answer to people that ask you questions. Do that. Read daily. Ask your small group leader, your resource leader questions. Be a student of the Bible. And thirdly, the call to go. This is complete Christianity is is going, is making disciples come, follow, go. Just read something. <laughs> Study it like Rachel. Ask people questions and then have a desire to tell people about it. Talk to someone about it. 
believe that what you've learned and who Jesus is to you is worth something to the world. It's worth way more than I give it credit for. It's worth way more than the world does. But Jesus, he's worth it. And people need to know. So we need to teach him in community. So I'm going to pray. The altar is open. I encourage you to respond to whichever one of those that you feel like the Lord's asked you to do. And uh, worship. Jesus, thank you for coming to this world and giving your life for us, both on the cross and in the three years that you walked with your disciples, God. Thank you, Jesus, for entrusting those guys to just carry on your message to the world, God, and, and, and live out everything that they witnessed and experienced with you and from you and through you, God, and about you for the three years that you walked with them on this earth, Jesus. God, I pray that you would um, give us boldness to take the next step into um, whatever part of invitation that you've um, asked us to next, God. Would you help us trust you, God? We need you. Jesus, thank you for this community, this family, God. Thank you for everything that you've done for us, Jesus. And um, we need you, God. So, Lord, would you speak to us tonight? Holy Spirit, would you meet us here? In your name we pray.